Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, <laughs> with the savage premium so go to go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much welcome to the michael savage 
podcast drum roll. Well, I promised to run the second part of the interview done uh, with me by Josh Kaplan from Breitbart, the great website. He was interested in my life and career. I know many of my followers want to hear the second part. But before that, before that, you're going to get a preview of a remarkable interview I did with Rebecca Koffler, author of the book, the Putin's Playbook. Very important book. She's brilliant. Born in Russia, worked for the CIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, chief intelligence officer today for the Lindsay Group. And she's going to talk about how Western media is not representing the Ukraine war accurately and how the media takes the focus off major issues with clickbait like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial and stories about other celebrities and how policies that are left over from the Cold War are keeping this war going. We all know about the military industrial complex. We know that Biden's sending almost a billion dollars of equipment to keep the war going. And we also may not know that the United States does not want to let Russia gain more power control over their own sphere of influence by letting them take any part of Ukraine. So we are running a proxy war against Russia using Ukraine as a football. Today, we're talking about the most serious topic on the planet, which is preventing World War Three, if it's possible, with an individual who knows more about it than you would imagine. Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's Playbook. She has gone inside the mind of Vladimir Putin. And the question is the war. Are we getting the truth? Is the Western media telling us what's going on? We're going to find that out from Ms. Koffler, who's the uh, chief intelligence officer for Doctrine and Strategy Consulting for the Lindsay Group. And I can say a lot more about that when I set this up. But let's get right to the to the issue at hand, if we can. The main main question. I'm sorry, sorry, we're getting feedback. Now we're getting feedback. Okay, in your book, Putin's playbook, you describe how the war Russia is engaging in is not represented properly by the Western media. Can you please tell us what that is about? Sure. Um, So, uh, well, the media typically doesn't have full information, right? And the media is also largely driven by clicks. There's such a thing these days as the software monitoring um, system that senses what it is that viewers are clicking on, whether it's Mm. a website or whether it's TV. Why Mm. do you think all of a sudden um, the media has switched its focus from the Russia-Ukraine war where women, children are annihilated, maternity hospitals are shelled, all of a sudden we are on to uh, Johnny Depp and his smashed finger. Yeah. What is that? about? How could we all be interested in an actor and his divorce trial rather than the death and destruction of a nation? That epitomizes it, Dr. Savage. Uh, You're 100% uh, correct. This is what's happening. Um, So back to my book, uh, Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. Um, What I described there is Putin's plan to wage a war that the Russian intelligence services have concluded as inevitable. When I wrote the book, I didn't realize just how quickly that playbook was going to unravel. And the the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine is really a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Yes. So so Ukraine is being used as a football. Tell me if I'm correct, but am I correct in assuming that American special forces, Green Berets have been down, have been in Ukraine uh, for a very long time, not only advising, but actually controlling some of the uh, action. Okay, so as a former intelligence uh, officer for DIA, which is Defense Intelligence Agency, a military counterpart to CIA, I'm still bound by what we call the non-disclosure. I'm sorry to have asked the question, but that's That's okay. That's okay. But But as an outsider looking in, it sure looks to me like our, our, our people are, are there and you don't have to, of course, respond. I get it. Uh, you can't answer that question. Is there anything that could stop 
this war immediately. Let's start with the most depressing question there is, if we can. What can be done to stop the war? Well, hypothetically, there's something that could stop this war, but that something would be against a long-term bipartisan uh, U.S. policy, which used to be highly classified, but now it is uh, in the open, and that is to prevent uh, Russia from emerging as a dominant power in Eurasia. The policies are left over from the Cold War. So So the United States views its strategic interest as having Ukraine in Western camp and not under the dominance of Russia. And so that is the conundrum because uh, the U.S. and Russia are fighting over control of the same territory, which is Ukraine, that Russia views as parts of its security perimeter and wants to invoke its version of the Monroe Doctrine. And the United States wants it in our camp. It wants to promote democracy there. And so that's what the whole conflict is all about. That is about to escalate potentially into the nuclear realm because the two sides are simply on completely different sheets of music. I won't bring up Zelensky because I'm not a fan of Zelensky. I think he is. uh, I think he's acting out a role in his own head. That's very much like I call the Masada complex, where he'll take the whole country down with him rather than give up. And I don't think he's doing his own people a favor. I don't glorify him. Is there another Ukrainian leader who's more stable than Zelensky? Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm not aware of any other leader uh, who can step in in Zelensky's uh, shoes. If uh, he were to all of a sudden get hit by a bus or uh, get captured by Putin's uh, assassin's team, the Wagner Group or the Kadyrovtsi. Um, I don't believe Zelensky is unstable, just like I don't believe that Putin is unstable. They're both quite sane. In fact, we are now in the middle of a major strategic battle of the wills. Both Uh, Zelensky and Putin are very strong-willed. They're stubborn, both with the elements of narcissism. Since Mm. you asked about Zelensky specifically, you are 100% correct in the sense that he is using his acting skills, Mm. his trade craft, Mm. as a performer to invoke emotions in Western leaders and Western populace. In fact, he hypnotized the entire Western world by pushing the right buttons. Yes. I've never seen a leader ask for aid and then in the same breath attack them for being idiots and cowards. To me, this looks like an unstable personality, but he has read Western leaders perfectly because they're all wimpy and they won't stand up to him and say, you want aid from us, but you're putting us down, drop dead. They won't say that to him. They're afraid of him. This never would have happened under Trump. What do you think of that? Do you think this would have happened under Trump? Well, first of all, no, it would not happen under Trump because the uh, Trump has done three very important things that strike at the heart of President Putin's doctrine and strategy that he calls asymmetric to destabilize the West and reconstitute Mm. the former Soviet Union. Mm. These are the three things. Um, And before I say those, uh, just to uh, to be clear, no, President Trump never called uh, Putin a killer or a war criminal or genocidal like Biden does, because There's really no point. Putin knows that he authorized assassinations. He's not afraid of words. He's afraid of actions. And this is exactly what former President Trump did. He's a Russian realist. And I don't think these politicians understand Russian realism at all. You nailed it. They they have no idea who they're dealing with. And they try to put him in a box like a puppet that they've seen before, but they've not seen this before. Again, I'm speaking as a commentator looking in from the outside. Ms. Kofler, you've been there. You've done that. You're Russian by birth. You speak 
all these languages. You've gotten into these defense intelligence agency, which happens to be so deeply interesting to me. Uh, and, you know, things that you can't talk about. But, you know, people are people. At the end of the day, you're dealing with a personality. I knew Trump from several meetings with him. I flew on Air Force One with him. I shared hot dogs with him in the flying Oval Office where uh, I saw a personality that I understood from Queens, New York, that most people don't understand. He's a very unpredictable person, but very predictable in other ways. And I um, he's also a very kind person in a strange way. Can I tell you the Air Force One story for your own fun? Yes, please. Yes, okay, please. So I'm invited on. I'm flying, blah, blah, blah. So after I have my my wine and they say, would you like some wine? I said, put the bottle down. I had too much to drink. Donald doesn't care. I've met him before. So they usher me into the flying Oval Office and he doesn't look at me. He ushers me like with his left hand. He points to a chair like sit here, you know, and then he says to them, what is he doing here in order to humiliate me and to degrade me and make me feel small and frightened? He says to them, not to me, what is he doing here? But I'm from Queens and I had a very tough Russian born father. So to me, I just laughed. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I didn't take it seriously. I said, I'm here because you need to hear from me. I said, I'm an independent voice, unlike Hannity, who licks your boots. You have Hannity's audience in your pocket. You need my audience, which is independent. He said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. Anyway, so we ate hot dogs together. Kosher hot dogs, by the way, which I don't eat, but I ate because he was there. But listen to this. This is telling for someone like you. He saw I was very hungry. I didn't ask for anything. He looked in my eyes. He said, you want one? I said, sure. So he takes his own plate. He offers me a hot dog. And then he says, do you want mustard or ketchup? Now, what world leader would ask a mere media figure on a flying Oval Office if he wants mustard or ketchup? I don't understand that. But this is how he is. He can read people. He can be very kind. He can be very brutish. I understand all of that. Is he like Putin in any way? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't, don't think, think Putin would have offered me a, a, a knish. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think Putin understood Trump. He understood uh, that he's fearless. You just uh, said something very, very important that Trump was unpredictable. Putin could not predict what Trump would do. That was only a small sample of this remarkable interview with Rebecca Koffler. You'll hear the entire interview in an upcoming podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. And now, drum roll. You're going to hear the second part of my interview with Josh Kaplan from Breitbart News. And you'll hear how I grade Biden's presidency, how past generations would look at personal success, differences in live radio and podcasts from my perspective, and what the future of this Savage podcast may be like, as well as my predictions for 2022. I hope you're going to like it, and I thank you for listening. The Breitbart audience and your audience, they want Dr. Savage raw, unfiltered, stream of consciousness for as long well, you, as they... As you as you they just can. opened up, yeah. a, I don't know why we opened up this whole door right now, but it certainly is a far cry from where we started, I think. And, and I think it's much more interesting than just the, the run-of-the-mill politics this... Ukraine that people people that that was always to me one of the great successes of your show is you could weave in and out of current events but then you could tell a story about growing up in the Bronx and the phones would light up because they'd love to hear Uncle Mike and they felt like you were the smart uncle the Dutch uncle at the end of the table at the family and that they knew you and that was the that was the brilliance that your show offers that I have never been able to capture in any other listening experience. Wow. So, oh. so, so now trying to weave back into the politics department. Doc, what do we see right now? President Biden way over his head in every issue area that you could imagine. Oh, boy. The economy, foreign affairs, immigration. 
what grade do you give Biden right now? <laughs> <laughs> and and what <laughs> what grade do you give Biden right now? Well, and, it's it's a sad question because he clearly has Parkinson's disease. Um, I know this because my poor mother in her latter years was in a rest home in Florida. There were people with Parkinson's and she had it. And one of the uh, you know, symptoms of it is a shuffling gait like he has. He walks sort of like that shuffling gait, doesn't lift his feet, going on Air Force One before he left for Europe. You could see he had the shuffling gait. The, it affects people's brains as well. You could see he sometimes forgets where he is. He is a very sad person to watch. And he has put this world and this nation in great danger, as we can see. None of this would have happened under Donald Trump. I don't care what anyone says about Trump, and I don't want to make this about him. We had a much more stable world when Donald Trump was in power. But the entire intelligence community, as uh, uh, Schumer warned, if you, if, you, if you get on the wrong side of them, remember what, what Schumer said when Trump became president? Yes. He said, if you do something to them, they have six ways to Sunday to get at you. So they lied about Russia. They invented everything about him that they said he did, he didn't do. And everything they said he did, Biden did, and his son. So here we are right now, and we're living in hell. A collapsed economy, runaway inflation, a war that could turn into a, a, a something much worse. Each person at their neighbor's throat, the most insane and incompetent administration in history, and who presides over this phenomenal enterprise? Joe Biden. Joe Biden was always a second or third tier individual. He was groomed to basically be uh, a sub character for more powerful and more intelligent people. He was sort of like a, a, a briefcase carrier type. And he got thrust onto the stage. He became the accidental president because of the media. And you want to go into voters and voter fraud. I don't want to go into that. We know the media threw the election towards him. If nothing else, that's something that can be proven. And here we are, and we're all suffering. And God forbid the world is suffering as well. So my opinion is it's less than a D. This is an F presidency. If we lived in a sane country, he would have been thrown out, unfortunately. Because what is waiting in the wings, the cackler Harris, is so much worse that I actually go to bed every night and I make a prayer for Joe Biden's health. <laughs> People don't believe me. They get stopped. They say, you think you pray for Biden? I said, yeah. Do you know who Kamala ha Harris is? It's not her. She is a stooge of Nancy Pelosi in that whole machine. She's their front woman. They put Kamala Harris in there from day one. And God forbid Harris took over it would be Pelosi running the world if she's not already doing it behind the scenes. But if you study politics carefully, although Biden was always carefully, I don't know how to prove this. Where's Biden from? Delaware. Where's Pelosi's family from? Baltimore, right? Biden is interwebbed, interwoven with the Pelosi power structure for decades. So, is there a degree of separation between them? I believe so. Would there be if Biden were replaced by Kamala Harris? No. There would be no degrees of separation between the Biden people and the Pelosi people. And that would be like the Stakito bust out in the Sopranos. I don't know. Have you ever watched the Sopranos? I have. You have? Well, I'm a fanatic watcher. I've watched many of these segments many times because it's, they're so well done. The Stakito bust out, for those of your listeners or readers who don't know it, it was um, Tony Soprano, the gang leader. And he grew up in the neighborhood. And one of his friends was, I think, Stakito. He wasn't a gangster. He owned a big sporting goods store. But like, you know, bond size sporting goods store in those days. But he was a degenerate gambler. So he comes to Tony and says, Tony... I want to gamble in that private gambling room upstairs that you have. And he says to him, listen, that's his first name was J Tony, uh, Larry. He says, Larry, listen, I don't want you in there because if you get behind and, you know, you got to pay up, I'm going to come after you for a No, I want to gamble, right? 
Tony says, Are you, do you know what you're doing? All right. As the story goes, the guy gets into debt. He cannot pay. He's like losing a hundred grand in one night. He's busted out. So what happens? What the mafia does? They come to him. They become part owners of his sporting goods store. You'd think they would run the store. No, they rob the store blind. They sell everything they can off the back of the store and they keep moving partitions up to fill in the empty space while they're robbing the store blind, selling everything out of the back door. And then they take the credit of the company and they start selling, buying first class airline tickets on the credit of the store. It's called a Stiquito bust out. That's what will happen. It's already happening to the country. I mean, going to happen. The whole Democrat machine is like the Stiquito bust out. Let me leave it at that. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Doc, what's your take right now on the situation in in Ukraine? Oh. It appears that the, 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 the Democrat media complex is doing everything they can to foment support through public opinion to push the United States into some sort of uh, kinetic military operation, a no-fly zone, uh, um, you know, support under the guise of humanitarianism. Oh, God. What's your take on this, Doc? You're a thousand percent right. I've never seen such war fever in my entire life. The American left, which was anti-war my whole life, is now the most vehement warmonger, are the most vehement warmongers I've seen in my entire life. Joining them are the Hannity's and the Levins, who are calling for the uh, assassination of Putin, no-fly zones, the two generals sitting in their chairs up there. Do they understand what they're playing with here, that it's not just rhetoric? Why is no one calling for peace? Why is there no settlement? Where the hell is the UN? It's worthless. Where are the peacemakers? I woke up in bed last night. I can't sleep very well lately thinking about this. And I thought of the phrase, isn't Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Isn't that a, a, a name for Jesus? The Prince of Peace? Where are the peacemakers? The Bible says, blessed is he who, blessed are the peacemakers. Where are they? All I hear are people fomenting more war. Biden should have gone to meet Putin, not to talk to these left-wing fanatics in the EU who are just going to now start an arms race. Can you imagine the arms race that's going to go on now from all of these NATO nations that are now building up their military? More missiles, more tanks, more planes, more ships, more bullets. And what's going to happen when you arm people to the teeth? More war, more death, more destruction. Which, which also something Trump had urged all of these NATO nations at the onset of his of his presidency. He said, it's time to pay more. It's time to pay up. It's time to start increasing your military budgets because I don't want to have to be out here defending your country when you can't defend yourself. Well, that is true, but it, it's not exactly the point I was making. You're making a very important point, which is that they're doing what Trump wanted them to do, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah. So the war fever is frightening. I don't see anyone speaking about peace especially the vermin in the, in the media. They get me the craziest. All they want to do is stir up more anger, more rage, more hatred. No one's saying, you know, a few weeks ago, I said one thing in Biden, to Biden's credit is that he's showing restraint. You should see how I was attacked for that by the, the unthinking lumpen proletariats who call themselves patriots and conservatives. Biden's stupid, Biden's dumb, Biden don't know what he's doing. I said, you're missing the whole point. The Biden administration is showing great restraint by not introducing a no-fly zone. This was f four weeks ago when the world was pushing him into World War III. So I said, he showed great restraint. How much longer he can hold on, I don't know. So, yes, it's a very, very dangerous time. Is there anyone on the conservative side? You know, this is an important point. So I was watching Fox News a little bit the other night. I like Tucker. He's about the only one I can stand. And um, there's this General Jack Keene. He's on all the time. Yeah. 
I used to like him because he's like from Queens or Bronx. He speaks my language. He sounded like a smart, tough guy. Turns out he's 101st Airborne, a real general. But all he was talking about was more weapons, more warfare, attack Putin. I said, what the hell? Is he crazy? I said, wait a minute. Whoa. Let me look into Jack Keane. I said, he must be working for a contractor. Lo and behold, lo and behold, he's a, I think, an owner, or a, if not an owner, he's a major player in American General that makes Humvees and trucks for the military. But, Josh, he's not alone. So I did a little more digging, and I found an article that shocked me. Even I got shocked. I wish to God I could put my hands on it right now. And it's uh, an article done in the Washington Post. It was done in July of 2020, I believe. And um, I don't have it. It dropped off. It was the mil- it was the contractors who were now spokesmen for the military. Right? Almost every one of them, from ABC to Fox News, has it. One general or another or a colonel retired, and every last one of them, every last one of them works for a defense contractor. Would you believe this? Wow. And every last one of them does not disclose none of the network. They should have a warning label under their name. This one works for General Dynamics. This one consults for Raytheon. This one is on the, but they don't, right? So I wish I could find a Washington Post military contractors contractors in the media let's see if i can search it right up bingo got it right u.s military's longtime reliance on contractors that's not the one actually well there's a number of stories but i could find it if i spent time you get the i think i'm making my point it's a Washington Post article talking about military analysts and which companies they're working in the military industrial complex. So right here is list of news military analysts. And you got all the names here. Every last one of them. And um, it's really sad to tell you it's Eisenhower's phrase. And here is the article, Josh. Washington Post, January 13th, 2020. News networks use retired military brass as war analysts without disclosing their defense industry ties. Wow. January 13th, 2020. The first one shown is retired four-star Army General Jack Keane. Now involved in the defense industry, serves as a paid military analyst for Fox News. He's the number one, but he's not the only one. ABC, CBS, CNN, NBC, and MSNBC makes a regular practice of announcing its military analysts' financial ties to the Pentagon, connections that could color their on-air com- comments. Admiral James Stavridis, Stavridis, none of them mentioned that Stavridis, was, who was NATO's former Supreme Allied Commander, currently works for the Carlisle Group and McClarty Associates. He advises Carlisle. On a, he's chairman of the board of councils at McLarty, which advises military contractors, among others. CBS's own in-house military expert, retired Admiral James Sandy Winterfeld. So I don't know if these people are still operating, all of them. The point that I'm making is quite clear, which is that these military analysts are, by and large, military consultants, if not owners of weapons manufacturers. And there should be a warning label under each and every one of them. Many of these retired officers on TV worked or work for companies that rely on military contracts. If that is not a built-in conflict that news organizations are not mentioning, I'd like to know what is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I want to. Um slide back onto the personal side if that's okay with you i know that we've been well, please chatting. do I, I got off track we've been chatting no 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 problem whatsoever the savage nation it's savage uncut unfiltered and raw we've been chatting a while so i'm also mindful of your time i want to uh go back on onto the personal side 
um, because, you know, to your audience, you talk a lot about your relationship with God. You talk about your relationship with politics and art and culture. You talk about your past as someone who was a, uh, a botanist and spent time in the Fijian islands. Um, one of the things that uh, interests me about you, Dr. Savage, is you're also a father. And you've got a really what we'd call in the Jewish religion, I know you'd, you'd hear me, you've got, you know, great nachis with the, the success of, of your son, Russ, Russ Weiner. He was an entrepreneur that built an incredibly successful business in the beverage industry and sold it for sold it for a very large sum. And what always interested me, Doc, about you is that I always wondered, what is it like as a father to see such incredible success come to your son through hard work? And my second part of that question is, is as the uh, as the 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 child of of an immigrant father, which is you, and then your son is the grandson of an immigrant. What would your father think today if he were to see the unspeakable success? Could he even conceive of such a thing? No, only in America. And as someone said. To my son, you didn't hurt a single person in, wow. making, in the making of your fortune, which is very, and this was a very powerful man. You hurt nobody. You took it from nobody. He built it, you know, with my wife over 20 years of very hard work. But you're asking, well, a couple of questions. I remember about a number of years ago, I put a party on the, on the Hudson River. Russ sent his, his big boat up from Florida at the time. Just for me, I was in New York one summer, and I said, Russ, wouldn't it be great if you could send your boat up with your crew and I could have a party on the Hudson River for my publishers, <laughs> my publisher and all my radio people? He did it for me, sent it up, and I gave a speech on that boat, which is somewhere on the internet. I, I forget the title of it. I'm, it's such a beautiful little talk. I've, I've, I've seen it numerous times. Oh, and I I see talk, I'm looking at the time. Statue it's of Liberty. Great, it's a great speech. I'm looking it's at the Statue toast. of Liberty from his yacht on the west side of Manhattan. I'm looking at the, at the Statue of Liberty. I'm saying, my grandfather came here with nothing a few miles down the river. And here I am sitting on this yacht. It's only in America. What a great country this is. So that, that's the first answer I can give without a definitive answer answer how does it feel as a father that's a strange and important question because the reverse is generally true in any society these days usually the father is more successful than the son isn't that correct yes I mean in my generation that was true the, the men of my generation generally were very hard working and succeeded the children didn't do that well Generally, they are slackers or they don't do well. It doesn't mean they're bad people, but they don't do better than the father, right? That's what I've seen. How many of these kids wind up on the rocks, on, you know, on rehab, dead from overdoses? It's shocking when you think about it. So I look at this in wonderment and I say to myself, just thank God. What else can I say? I'm a very competitive guy, and I taught my son to be very competitive, and he thanks me for the competitive edge I gave him. Would you believe it? Or but along the way, when he was doing very well, I would say, Russ, you're astounding. I don't know how to tell you how much I admire you. He said, you made me. You created me. Wow. That's the kind of, he always say to me, you made me. I said, what do you mean I made you? He said, no, <laughs> you formed me. You made me. You took me to all the trade shows when you were consulting in the herbal business. You took me to Fiji when you were collecting plants and I was a little kid. I collected plants. I learned about herbs in those days and what they meant. You took me with you to Japan 
when you got that award for the Japan Creativity Society. We went there together. I was given an award as an American who was very one of the best creatives. People don't know that either. And we went to Japan together. Uh, there's a nonstop flight from New York on United Airlines in a 747. He was like 13, 14 years old. And we're at this banquet with these Japanese guys. They were brilliant. And one of them came up to me and said to my kid, you bombed me. You bombed me in World War II. You blew up my house. <laughs> Russell's sitting there eating sushi. He said, well, I'm sorry for what we did. <laughs> What's he going to say? To this? <laughs> it was still going on. I mean, you think about it. Of course you remember the so yeah you don't forget a memory like that no so they blame my poor son for bombing japan in 1945 what can i say <laughs> god but we loved that trip to japan we got on that 747 it was a non-stop flight from new york to narita i couldn't believe it we would all you got to hear this story you ready no one knows this little detail so we get on the plane we're only two or four people in first class. The other two were uh, Japanese or Chinese people. They got on the plane, elderly people. They got on just before the door closed, first class. Immediately sat down in their seats, put their masks on and went to sleep and did not wake up the whole flight. <laughs> we, on the other hand, being Americans, he ate the whole way over to Japan. So it was the early days of great service for United. And they were trying to prove how great they were. So they wheeled out a cart with a side of roast beef on it. <laughs> And here's a growing kid, 15 years old, and the stewardess cuts, the flight attendant, excuse me, cuts a, a big slab of meat for him or whatever, potatoes, and he eats and she's smiling, you know, and she comes back, she says, would you like another? He says, yes. So she rolls the cart down again, another piece, and another piece. This went on four times till the <laughs> stewardess visibly got upset because he was probably eating her lunch that would have been left over, however, the pilot. Probably would have had a party in the hotel room that night with the with the roast beef. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but he ate his way across to Japan. Oh wow, what a what a great story! Yeah, what what a great story. I so brought it back to me. You know, you made me think about it. I forgot about it so long ago. God, thirty five years ago. How could it be? Well, that, that's why I always I always think having these discussions with you on the personal side um, is so interesting and so much more fun and, and engaging sometimes in the politics stuff. And as I said before, there's nobody in radio that could do it like you. So that's why I, I like to bring this out of you. Um, you do. Stories just flow. Yeah. You brought up everything from politics to religion to family to personal, which is amazing. That's that's that that's what I that's what I try and and and, and do with you. So I just want to dip back into that question because we talked about you. Um, what what do you think? You know, your father and his generation would think of your son's success. Could they even could they even imagine such a thing? No, I, they could imagine it. <sighs> My father died when my son never met my son. He died young, of a heart attack. Never met my grandfather. He died of a heart attack. Uh, I never thought I'd live past 40 because of the inheritance, but through luck and my mother's side, I guess, and the vitamins and all of that, I'm still here. Okay. Could they understand this? My father, who worked in a little store in New York's Lower East Side, the sole breadwinner, who labored seven days a week in that store, never took a vacation to make sure we could pay for the little mortgage in that little tiny attached house and one car in the family so my mother could stay home and be a homemaker so our clothes were clean, our homework was done, and the food was on the table, right? That's how it was done. I remember we always bought used cars. Nobody would think of it. and He would never buy a car on credit. He thought that was cheating. I remember when I was, it was the early it was the early 50s. So if anyone bought a car on credit, which was just starting to happen, he would say they were cheating, <laughs> that they couldn't really afford it. And I've never heard show that. Before. No, and they were trying to show off. So That's he al great. he always bought used Cadillacs. God bless Benny. And and I remember we'd ride around in his car on the way to his store, and he'd see a car go by like a used Caddy or something. He's my that's a cream puff, right? He was always looking for a cream puff. And uh, I'll tell you a car story. So the first used Cadillac he ever bought, I remember it to this day. It was a 55 Caddy 
It must have been in 58. It was a cream puff like new. Mm-hmm. Well, he brought it home and we worshiped that car. He backed it down the steep driveway and under the house, right? And then closed the garage door so we could get in it. Right. And my sister and I sat on the seats and, you know, turned the wheel and looked at the shiny chrome. And we couldn't believe we had a Cadillac. And um, so you say, so a man who could only buy a used cream puff Cadillac has a grandson of such wealth and a son of such prominence. How could he fathom it? What could he do with that? What would he say to me? What would he advise me? I don't think he would. He would say, tell me what to think. He'd ask me what he should think because he would not. It's not within his ken to understand this. And, you know, this goes to a podcast I did last week on um, on uh, YouTube. One Saturday I woke up. I'm trying to do a little more spiritual stuff on a regular basis now. So I had had a book given to me. I have it right here. It was given to me years ago by a rabbi's wife, by Rabbi Schneerson, who's one of the great moderns of uh, the Lubavitch Hasidic movement called Social Vision. I never read the book. I'd flipped through it, right? But a week or two before I d- gave the YouTube speech, I leafed through the book. And um, I mean, I knew Schneerson was known as a, so- a social thinker. Mm-hmm. And I read a chapter called The Principle of, uh, the Principle of Reciprocity between self-community and cosmos, the dynamic of giving and receiving. And then I was saying, wow, and I learned something in here. And he taught me in his writing, and I translated it to mean this, the poor man needs the rich man as much as the rich man needs the poor man. That was my translation. It was because of this book. That's not how he wrote it. He writes, the needy recipient should actually be understood to be in a position of power and dignity, bestowing upon their would-be benefactors an opportunity to exercise their capacity to give. I never read anything like this. Wow. So you talk about people with a mystical ability to think, right? And what separates a true thinker, a true spiritual leader from an ordinary man or person? And this is an example of that. When I read this, I learned something, and it it actually turned me inside out because the gap between rich and poor is so great in our society right now that I learned through this that the rich man needs the poor man as much as the poor man needs the rich man Yes. in my own interpretation of this book. So you say, what does that have to do with what you asked me? I don't know. It's my intuitive way of answering your question. I would say my father was not poor. He was not destitute. He dressed well, did okay, had a little store, had a little house, left my mother enough to pay for the house, right? So you can't say he was a poor man, but he he was very, they were very frugal. We never ate in restaurants much, you know, not like today. Nothing was bought on credit. So I learned to live in the old world many ways. And I've said many times on my radio show years ago, Josh. I have one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world as an immigrant son. And I mean that. You could hear by what I'm telling you now what I mean by that. Maybe I never explained it because I never had the time to really explain what I was meaning by that. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. I try to have these these longer conversations with you to 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 draw that out because I know I know listening to you for years that that it's in you and it's uh, I know people have to pay the bills but when when you're up against a commercial break you oh. know we we all we all groan because we know that you're just getting started um, so uh, you know so, here's yeah. what you're raising and you're going to ask me because you asked me before if you have another few minutes you said how does the podcasting differ yes. from radio I used to complain bitterly on radio that. Just as I was developing a thought, I'd have to go to a break. Yes. I hated it. I hated it. It doesn't work for my mind. Then it got worse in the last few years of radio where you had to leave read live ads. Yes. So you had to go from a thought, a developed thought, into buy Johnny's jock straps because Johnny's jock straps are the best jock straps. If you've tried other jock straps, you've not you've got to try Johnny's. And you're going from from sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous. And then you have to come back to the sublime. It's impossible. So with the podcast, 
I'm able to develop ideas and more completely without interruption. It's that simple. And if I make a mistake, I want to tell you, <laughs> we just edit it out. I go back the next day with the team and we take out something I don't like. Radio, it was a one-shot deal. So I, I was the one who walked on a tightrope and took a lot of chances. Very few people do that to this day. They stick to like the, the, the prayer book. Democrat bad, Republican good, Biden's a moron, and on and on. Putin's the devil, Zelensky's a hero. That's the new, that's the catechism of today. Right. So I try to be more subtle than that. I mean, do people like it? I don't know. I would say some do. They understand it. They're still downloading the podcast. I, I think they absolutely do like it. And so in terms of the podcast, you're saying that you're able to develop uh, longer thoughts uninterrupted in the same way that you were on radio. So going back to making the change, what's been your general sense of the podcast world? Will you continue to be doing the podcast for the for the foreseeable future? Are there any plans to make changes to the show? Are things staying the same? What's the general status of of the show? <clears throat> My wife says to me, people say to her, how is Michael enjoying retirement? That's because they don't hear me on the radio. <laughs> so she says, well, he, he's not retired. He, he's doing two podcasts a week, right. three Newsmax TV appearances a week. Right. He's managing his social media channels and he's writing a book. They don't even know that. It's the funniest thing is that once you leave the mainstream media, you may as well disappear. Fortunately for me, when I made the transition to podcasting, which took me a long while to figure out how to do it, it took me two years to learn how to do podcasting. It was not easy. I mean, anyone could do them. A kid with a microphone and a computer screen can podcast. There's hundreds of thousands of podcasts, but my podcast is in the top 5, 0.5%, 0.05, 0.05, according to my advertising agency. If you want to monetize the podcast, which I have to do because I have a team helping me produce them. Uh, and it work for me. You have to, you have to have an audience. Right. So we have three hundred seventy-five thousand downloads a week. Wow. Which is not thirty million. It's not Joe Rogan. You know, the king of all media. Uh, God bless him. I have no idea. He's a very good sports broadcaster, but doesn't have any depth at all. And uh, people love him, which is great. I mean, success speaks for itself in a way. But uh, my, my uh, ad agency says you're in the top 0 0.5 0.4%. So I made that transition successfully, meaning that number of people came over from radio to listen to me on the podcasting. Will I do this? Uh, from, for How long will I do it? I don't know. I really don't know. Now that I'm turning 80, you know, sometimes I think there's no point to this anymore. Certainly during this war, I feel I have to keep going and trying to explain things the best I can. I'm only one small voice in the midst of this madness in the world. But if I can influence even a few influential people, because who knows who listens to me? I don't know. How do I know who listens to the show? Do I really know? I go on to the, the, the platform I'm on. And one of the funnest things I have that I do, and you say my feedback, right? So, Megaphone is who carries my show, right? I think it's mm -hmm. Megaphone. So, you go on, and then you see uh, under the dashboard where it's viewed. I think you go on. No, our reports. It shows you the world and the world map. And who's, you know, how many people listen in each part of the world. It's astounding. You can click on a country, and you could see what, how many listeners you have in that country, right? Yes. You know how they work. I mean, you, you're in the business yourself, so you yeah. understand what I'm saying. So I had I had about 20 million downloads last year, which is very good for me. Um, I'm trying to find it. I can't really find it. I love that map. Do you carry it? Who carries yours? Um, our our podcast. Well, we we do a, a show on on Sirius XM, and then. We do a podcast. We just put it up on uh, on all the platforms. We put it up on Apple, put it up on, on Spotify. And, and But don't you have a carrier in which you load your podcast and then in which you place ads? We don't have to go there. All I'm saying is I like to click on the 
dashboard and see the countries that where I'm listened to and uh, and then download it. You know, it shows you even how many people are listening on each different uh, platform. You know, Apple is still number one, by the way, as you know. Yes. Right. Same for same for Breitbart, correct? Yeah. Apple's like 94 percent or 90 percent of everyone's podcasting. That's how important they are. So you have to be very careful in what you do. It's getting to another point. People think podcasts are free. They're not. You're not free to say anything you want. You could just assume be the platform and podcasting as you can in radio, incidentally. So it's not, you know, they control the distribution, if you want to put it that way, of the product. Right. So they have all the power to do what they want with it. So there's no such thing as a free lunch in this world. No person is is totally free in the world of the media. None. No. So, so you're going to continue to do the show as long as your heart is in it. Um, and then, you know, you'll see where you'll see where life and where God takes you. Essentially, it's when you feel like you want to walk away and you've said all you need to say, then then you'll do it. But until then, particularly right now, you feel like you have to speak out. I think that's true. Away. Some days I, I say, Michael, how many years do you have left? And you number one. Um, number one. And how many years do you want to do this? Do you want to do this until you can't function anymore? So I'll answer the question for you since I've, I've asked it. People say to me, why the hell are you still working as hard as you're working when you don't have to? First of all, if you have an active mind, which I do, you can't just stop your mind because you say, I'm retired. I don't know how people do it. I have no idea what they're thinking. So I would be thinking about the same things, whether I was speaking about them or not. I'm going to watch the news now and again or see an Internet story on Breitbart or Drudge or wherever, and I'm not going to think about it. Of course I am. Right. So with the podcast, I get to explain my view, right? So one of the things I do is I say to myself and the people is um, I watch, I, I listen to my podcasts after I record. I also watch myself on TV, which is live. As you know, Newsmax TV, there's no rehearsal. And I'm, I'm fast. My mind is as fast, if not faster, than it was at 40. I almost never miss a syllable. And I also pack my three or four-minute segments with detailed, powerful information on any subject. And when the day comes, I say to myself that I'm stumbling on words, or I don't have good content, or I st sound like Joe Biden, I will disappear. No one will hear from me again. That's the end of it. I use it as a bellwether of how I'm doing in the world mentally. Right. Well, well, Doc, I mean, as uh, <clears throat> as I told you before, I mean, I've listened to you for years. And to me, your voice and mind is as sharp and ever as sharp as ever. And not only your mind, but even the way that you look, it's like you and Trump, you both have these genes where it's like, I feel like I saw you six months ago and like you're younger, you look not younger now than you did six months ago. I don't know what's in the water over there, uh, but you know, you're, you're sounding good and you're looking good. So well, thank God. I thank you very much for those compliments. Take a guess how many listeners I have in uh, Greenland. None. <laughs> I finally found that. The map. <laughs> How many listeners do I have in Nigeria? 339. I love it. Australia. You know, you look at these. Madagascar, I have nine people who download my show. There you go. The 95% of all the listeners that I have are in the United States, as you would expect. Yes. It's probably true for even Breitbart, right? Yes. Where does, where does, um, where does Israel rank in the, in the top five? I'm sure you have a, a large, a large Hasidic community for sure listening to you there. Let's see. Egypt, 0%, 85% downloads. Israel, hold it. Oh, come on. 3,334 in Israel. That's small. 334. How many in Ukraine? Iraq, zero. Iran, zero. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they are allowed to get them. Turkey, yeah. five, two, I got 205 expats in Turkey listening to me. What, what about China? Does China yeah, I'm looking at China. Let's see what China, how many people in China listen to me? 2064. They're probably all spies. Wow. Japan, 
2,228. You know, you, you look through, it's very fascinating to realize that, you know, you're not just bullshitting. Every word you say on a podcast is being listened to. So when you see listeners all over the world and you see the demographic, you know, the, it's right in front of your eyes, you know, it makes you realize that uh, what you're saying has to be of some value. The, people have so many choices today. You want them to listen, make it count, give them something of value. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Absolutely. So, Doc, uh, I've taken up a lot of your time. No, no, don't say that. I wouldn't do it if I wasn't a narcissist and, and didn't want to be listened to. <laughs> I, I got that from Jackie. Who did I get that? Was that Jackie Mason? I forget who said it. He said, I was walking down the street. Someone asked me a question. <laughs> I love Jackie. I was walking down the street. Someone asked me a question. He's being a narcissist. I talked to anybody in the street about anything. I said, that's true for every performer in the world. That's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you definitely have me laughing. So, so, so wrapping up on, on our final question here, what are your predictions for 2022? It's looking like a, yeah. it's looking like a red, a red wave. And then I know we're still too far out uh from 2024 so what's going to happen there as well what's 2022 prediction and then 2024 prediction who's going to run trump going to run is biden going to run who is going to replace biden on the ticket if not what are your thoughts first of all i do not think it's a shoe-in for the midterms that's number one everyone's saying it's a guaranteed wave i say no for a couple of reasons you know the voting irregularities the fact that it's a long way until the election, this raging war, we haven't seen it play out. And Biden and his team are playing it. They want to drag it out as long as they can up to the election, in my opinion, without actually having a, a real war. I mean, a third world war. We're entering Orwellian totalitarian, uh, an Orwellian totalitarian world on a more rapid basis than anyone could imagine with what goes on on the social media platforms, the universities, the media. So because of their control, the mess in the United States of America is not clear cut. I'm not so sure there's going to be such a wave of so-called red wave, meaning Republican victories. Having said that, who knows? Number two, 2024. It looks like Trump will run, but Trump is getting older and not younger. Would you agree with that? Who, who could argue with that? Yes. He looks great at his weekly rallies. I hope he does run. He got a, can he run? When is he going to run out of steam? Um, I like him. I like DeSantis enormously. And, yes. um, and I, I think that that's a very important point. He's not the only individual who can win the presidency on the Republican conservative side. I, I would I would vote for Trump if he ran. I'd vote for DeSantis if he ran, if he ran. I don't feel that good about Ted Cruz, um, even though he's a very intelligent man, did a great job at the Katenji hearings. I thought he was brilliant. I, I don't trust him very much. Uh, just he's too erratic. And I don't know who else there's a Republican star, a rock star, so to speak. It's either Trump or DeSantis, in my opinion. I don't know who else could, could carry the ball. Uh, who on the Democrat side? Biden will not run in a million years. He can't make it. If he, I don't think he's going to make it through this term. I pray for him every night. I don't think he's going to be the president to the end of this term. Um, I don't think whoever replaces him, whether it is temporarily Kamala, because she's the obvious heir, correct? Yes. But would she last in this position till the powers remove her and make Nancy Pelosi president, which is what I think is going to happen. No one has said that. She works at the pleasure of Nancy Pelosi's machine. If she ever got that power, they would never let her have it. They would probably put her into some other major position. And she'd probably say, thank you. Um, whoever takes the mantle will run against the Republican and given the, the disaster of this administration, there should be a Republican victory. But given the, the seat of the media, 
the lies in the social media, the censorship. It's anyone's guess what might happen. Thank you, Doc. So I'm uh, I'm all out of questions. I think we we went the distance. Wow. We really what a went. Great, what a great interview. It's going to be a great podcast. Yeah, we we really went the distance. I'm uh, I'm very much appreciative. I feel like I'm in a plots now. I, I got to go and take a, an Alka Seltzer and lay down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, Josh, a pleasure. The next time you're in San Francisco, um, give me a call and I'll, we'll go to some great restaurants together. I'd love that. Thanks so much, Doc. Thank you, Emilian, for being so kind. Thanks, Doc. Brought to you by your visionary podcaster, Michael Savage. Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. Bye, Thanks, Doc. Josh. Thank you. Regards to everyone at Breitbart. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.